It is good to be back again with you guys. And uh, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, I uh, just want to say welcome again. I'm glad that you're here. We are wrapping up. We, we've got about four weeks left in this series that we started way back in the fall called The Big Story of Scripture, uh, where we are going through the big story of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, all the major themes and stories that tie the one big story of Scripture all together. This morning, we're going to be in part two of something I started a couple weeks ago. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, through 14. So if you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and turn there, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I opened up this can of worms talking about spiritual gifts, and I promised you that we were going to get to uh, some difficult parts of this whole passage, too. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing a little bit this morning. So uh, first time, and then just hang in there. This will be a, this will be a fun one and stuff. So um, as I was thinking about this this, this past week, uh, there's a, a, I feel like the Lord just kept bringing to, to my mind this crush party that we went to back in the college days. Do you guys ever remember... Uh, back in college, crush parties, date parties, or anything like that. All right, like a crush party back, maybe this is a more recent thing. A crush party is a thing where um, you would send out these invitations, like everybody in your little, I was in a brotherhood Christian Aggies at Texas A&M, and they would send out these invitations to two or three girls or something that you, they're supposed to have a crush. It's typically friends or whatever, but you send them out there, and it's just a fun party that we hosted. And so um, we would, we would did this, we, we were kind of creating things on the fly that first year, uh, at school, and so we, we came up with this idea for a yuck crush party. And basically, what this was is we we rented out this entire park, and uh, we bought we went to Walmart and, and Home Depot and bought just rolls of plastic sheeting and covered the entire field uh, in plastic. We stapled it down. We had uh, we had uh, we had sprinklers and we oiled the whole thing up. We had baby pools all over this whole thing, full of nasty old food. We cleaned out our, our pantries and filled this stuff with like old thrown out food with guck and yuck and every kind of nastiness, mud and nasty stuff that you could possibly find. I mean, when we went nuts on that thing, we had tons of people from the community out there. Uh, we had the, we had lights going on the whole deal. We had a DJ out there, and I'm not kidding you. Like we had so many people out there, and the, the whole field was just filled with people. I mean, it's just it's on this hill. People are slipping, sliding down this thing, and they're having just massive mud wars, mud fights, food fights, uh, and just going absolutely crazy at this party. And it was a ton of fun. And we're out there just having a good time. About 45 minutes into it, I'm, I'm kind of going, okay, I need a little bit of a break here. I think I cricked my neck or something like that. And, and I got up and kind of walked to the side. And I'm looking out over this beautiful thing that we created. I was like, this is incredible. And as I'm looking at, out at this entire party, that's when I realized that uh, not everybody was excited about the mess right? I, I, I'm looking out there and I'm kind of going, okay, like tons of people are out there and they are having an absolute blast at this party. And then I look over at the pavilion and there's a whole other contingent of people over there that are content to kind of sit on the side and, and, and stay clean and stay tidy and, 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 and keep things in order and, and just enjoy fellowship and conversation and things like that. And the reason I think that came to mind a lot this past week is because the passage that we're talking about right now, there's no other way to put it except to say that it's absolutely messy right? Like the, 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 the passage that we're looking at here and this whole topic of the whole realm of spiritual gifts, the entire thing is just incredibly messy. There's a lot of uh, abuse that comes along with some of these gifts that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, there's a lot of silliness. There's a lot of confusion that comes around with it. Uh, there's a lot of thus saith the Lord, which may not actually be from the Lord that kind of comes from some of these gifts. And there's just no other way to put it except that some of these things that we're going to be talking about this morning are just really, really messy. Nevertheless, 
Every single gift that the Holy Spirit gives is for the edification of his body and for the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. And so regardless of the mess, we have to engage and we need to press into this issue and to understand what God may have for us here at Dallas Bible Church. And so if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to be doing part two of this talk that we kind of started a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to be picking up here at the end of chapter 12 and going to kind of the middle part of chapter 14. Uh, again, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, I want to catch us up a little bit of where we are in the big story. We've, we've turned the page from the Old Testament to the New. Uh, we're dealing with the exact same God from beginning to end. One God eternally existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was there in the beginning. He's going to be there in the end. And he continues from the Old Testament into the New. We're dealing with the exact same mission as well that was there at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything good. In chapter 3, man came around. Uh, we ruined and broke the entire thing. Sin entered the picture. Death came with it. And immediately when that happened, God inaugurated and brought in his mission to redeem mankind. And he's going to be doing it largely through his covenant people uh, all throughout the Old Testament. This will be culminating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ there in the New. And so as we turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all we're doing is looking at a brand new arrangement, a brand new covenant, or a brand new promise that's going to be brought in. Hebrews is going to say that this new covenant in the New Testament is actually going to be a better covenant that was, than what was there uh, at the Old. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, but one of the things that we've been talking about is because um, uh, is, is really this, this idea of the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. And so under the old covenant, the, the, the Holy Spirit would come and go uh, from certain times in order to empower certain leaders to do God-glorifying acts. Think of the judges. Think of uh, King David. The, even in the Psalms, he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? Like that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's coming from time to time upon certain people to do certain God-glorifying acts acts at that particular time. One of the, the benefits of this new covenant is that now you and I have, if you are a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and he empowers all believers. And so we can not only be uh, so we can not only change from the inside out, which is exactly what Cameron talked about last week, where the Holy Spirit does this work inside of you and me, where he produces his, his fruit or his life inside of you and me, uh, but we can actually then go and be the change that we pray about all the time, which is exactly the purpose of the gifts, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's exactly what Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says it like this. He says, uh, there's different kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, but it's the exact same Spirit that distributes them. Right? That, that there's different kinds of service, but it's the exact same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but it's the exact same God who's at work, and he's giving these gifts to believers for their common good. And so there's a lot of different gifts within the body of Christ, but they're all given by the exact same Spirit for the common good, for the edification of his body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. And so when we're talking about the subject of spiritual gifts, you've got to understand, like, all we're talking about are specific gifts or abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to believers in order to help build up his body uh, all around the world. And, and sometimes these gifts, they're going to align with some of your natural abilities that you may have seen from the very beginning. Uh, and a lot of times they're not because they're uniquely given by the Holy Spirit for certain works in order to build up his church and edify the body all around the world. And there's going to be a lot of them, right? There's going to be all kinds of natural things and normal, not natural things, but things that are going to seem more common and more normal, things like serving 
and administration and leadership and apostolic leadership, which is kind of like this a start a startup type of a leadership and encouragement and generosity and mercy and things of that nature. And then there's going to also be the mysterious ones that we began to talk about a couple of weeks ago, things like tongues and healing and prophecy and some of these sign gifts that were very, very common in the first century church in order to authenticate the work of the Holy Spirit moving at that particular time. And that's where things are going to get really, really messy. And so bottom line, what we're seeing here is that within the body of Christ, there's all kinds of different gifts, but it's the exact same God who distributes them all, and they're working together for the exact same purpose, for the furtherance of the gospel all around the world and the edification of this body uh, here and also all around the world. And so I want to pick it up here at the end of chapter 12, uh, and I want to show you how the Apostle Paul gets into this thing and, and begins to deal with some of the mess of some of these different gifts. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up here at verse 27. He reminds us, and he says, Now you are the body of Christ, right? And each one of you is an essential part of it. That's what we are. We're the body of Christ, and each one of you is an essential part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work Miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, of course not, right? right? Because it's the Spirit that decides what gifts He wants to give. Not everyone is going to be a gifted teacher of God's Word. A lot of people may be called upon to teach at different parts, at different times of their life. Not everyone is going to have a spiritual gift of teaching. Not everyone is going to prophesy because not everyone's going to have the gift of prophecy. Not everyone is going to speak in tongues because not everyone is going to have that gift of tongues. A lot of people may try to speak in tongues, may try to uh, mimic something that they saw someone else do. It may not actually be a legitimate uh, tongues that they are actually speaking. And that's what he's saying. Not everyone is going to have every single gift. Every believer will have a gift. Not every believer will have every single gift. And so essentially what he's saying here is that that's, that's okay, right? It's okay, not everybody is going to have everything that they're seeing in the body. Now, let me ask you this question real quick. Why do you think that the Apostle Paul is, is making this point here after he's wrapped up this entire chapter speaking about different gifts in the body of Christ? Like, you can imagine what's happening here in this text, right? Like, this is about 15 years after uh, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Uh, the church is exploding. People are practicing gifts all around the place. Oh, everywhere that they go. And you can imagine that people are beginning to, to look around their body and they're going, oh my gosh, Gary is speaking in tongues? Like that's, that's pretty ecstatic. Like I don't even understand what that's about, but that seems kind of awesome. And, and that person's got a prophetic word and that person has an incredible gift of teaching and that person's able, able to have mercy like you wouldn't believe or that person has this insane gift of administration. And, and you can imagine like what's happening in this body is they're looking around and they're kind of going, that's an incredible gift. That's an incredible gift. What's wrong with me that I don't have that thing over there? Right? And so the Apostle Paul's looking at this thing and he's saying, not everyone's going to have that gift. Not everyone's going to be able to prophesy as incredible as that may be. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. That mysterious thing that makes it look like that's this elevated deal. Not everybody's going to do that, that thing over here. Not everybody's going to operate with this spiritual gift of teaching or administration or whatever that, may, that thing may be. And what he's saying is that's, that's part of the whole design. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit 
for the edification of this entire body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. And so, church, if you're looking around at different gifts and you're kind of going, okay, uh, that would be awesome to have, and you're feeling this competition or you're feeling this, this envy rise up in you, he's saying, okay, you can, just, you can just relax. I promise you the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing when he's giving you the certain gifts that he's given you in order to work and build up the body here at Dallas Bible or wherever you may be all around the world. There's a lot of tension there. Okay, and so he says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is an essential part of it. So he continues here, and I want you to see his emphasis here. Notice where this is going to fit in to the whole context. An entire chapter here, you are the body of Christ. Here's all these different spiritual gifts. Not everybody's going to have the exact same thing. Okay, chapter 14, he's going to, he's going to create this, this tension here between prophecy and the gift of tongues. But here in the middle, I want you to notice his foundation. He's going to say, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. In other words, it's good for you to look at different gifts and to say, hey, I want that, right? It's eagerly desire the different gifts. It's good to say, hey, that gift of teaching, Lord, if, if, if that may be the case, if that could be helpful for me and for this body, please give me the ability to do that. Like, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, yet, I'm going to show you a still more excellent way. Here's what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever heard a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal? It's annoying, right? Like it hurts your ears. You want nothing to do with it, right? I remember being at uh, down in New Orleans one time, and, and uh, there was a street preacher out there, and he got, grabbed his megaphone, and he was screaming to everybody passing on the sidewalk about how everybody was going to be going to hell except for him. And, of course, and it just it sounded like clanging cymbals. It was a resounding gong. And that's exactly what he's saying here. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the gift of faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, then I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, which is a great thing, right? And I give over my body to hardship that I may boast about it, but I do not have love, then I gain nothing. In other words, church, here it is. Like you can be Mark Driscoll. You could be Bill Hybels. You could be T.D. Jakes. You could be Stephen Furtick. You could be Andy Stanley, you could be Jeff Bezos, you could be Donald Trump, you could be a godly version of Beyonce, but if you do not know how to love, then it's absolutely nothing, right? Like, that's exactly what he's saying. You could be the most gifted person on the entire planet. You can have faith that's able to move mountains. You can have knowledge that's able to understand all of the mysteries of the universe that's going on here. Like, you can preach like Billy Graham, but if you don't know how to love, then it's absolutely nothing, and you're going to crush the people that God has called you to care for. Church, like, you hear me, you need to keep going on this. Like, you can know all of the theology in the world, but if you don't know how to love, then you're going to kill the people that you're trying to teach and engage. Parents, like, you can go and you can make millions of dollars every single year at work, and you can wow the people uh, in your office with your charisma all day long, but if you don't know how to love, you're going to lose your children. Right, like, like and, and go with me, ladies. Like, you could be the most beautiful person on the planet. You can have a million different followers on Instagram, but if you don't know how to love, then what in the world are we investing our lives in? Church, it's the priority of love. That's what he's saying. I don't care how gifted you are. Like, there's an incredible amount of gifts that are here in this room, and you may be the most gifted of them all. But if you don't know how to love, then what in the world are we doing? Even over giftedness, church, love trumps giftedness all day long. That's what he's saying here. It's why, it's why here at Dallas Bible Church, we make such a big deal of love. We put it in our mission statement. We say things like, we exist as a church body to love all and to help all follow Jesus. 
It's what we've been called to do. The Great Commission compels us uh, to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. And so we absolutely exist to help all people follow Jesus. Nevertheless, it's the great commandment where Jesus comes and he says, uh, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's what compels us to love all, no matter whether, whether, we, whether or not we agree with people or not. We are called to love all people. And, and before we start thinking that love is just some sort of a fanciful emotion where, that you may or may not feel or something going on inside of you, like the Apostle Paul defines exactly what he's talking about by love. Like, it's not just abstracted, it's not just arbitrary, and it's not just something that you're feeling towards something else. He, he defines it, he says, it's, it's not just something that you feel, but it's something that you do. And so, when your family life is a mess and, like, things are falling apart at home, like, love doesn't just give up and walk away. He says it like this, he says, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. Church, that's the definition of love. It's what love does. So when things fall apart at home, like love doesn't just give up and walk away. Love continues to pray, and love continues to engage, and love continues to hang in there because that's what it is. Love is patient. It has definition, right? Like when God's timeline is not exactly your timeline, like, love doesn't just get up and say, okay, I'm done with this thing because I gave you a certain amount of time to, to, to accomplish these things that I've been praying for. Love continues to hang in there and remains faithful to the Lord God because he is faithful, and that's what love does. When your prodigal still hasn't come home, like, love keeps hanging in there and keeps praying and, and keeps that front door open for your prodigal child to come home one day because that's what love does. It's patient. He continues, and it says that it's kind and it does not envy. In other words, like we're able to celebrate other people's successes no matter what's going on in my own life. Because that's what love does. It's kind to other people. It's, it doesn't envy their success. It doesn't envy other people when things are going fantastic for them. So as a church body, we can, we can hear about everything that God is doing in this community. and We can celebrate uh, that God is adding to their, daily, to their number daily those who are being saved all the time over at Watermark. And we can praise God for the work that he's doing over at the village and we can praise God for what he's doing just down the street over there at Gateway. And, and, and we can praise God for what he's doing over in Vickery Meadows through, through Northwest Bible Church and all of these different things. Because love doesn't envy all those different things. It's just not what love does. We celebrate those different things. No matter what may be going on in my own life. I'll never forget a number of years ago. Um, we had a, some, a, a couple of our friends of ours. And um, they've been battling infertility for about 10 years. And they, they go to their uh, small group, and you can imagine, you, many of you probably had this exact same thing take place where the young couple and their small group comes in, and great news, we're pregnant. And the young couple, th this other couple there, I mean, they've been battling inferti infertility for 10 years at that point in time, and they were there at the baby shower. They were there giving them gifts. They were there celebrating them and, and being excited for them. Church, can you imagine how painful that must be? 10 years, Lord, give me a baby. God, give me a baby. I want to I love and take care of a child. I want this family that would glorify you. God, 10 years of waiting, 10 years of no. And a young couple comes in, and, and this, this other couple is able to come in and celebrate those different things because love is kind, and it does not envy the success and the, the goodness that other people are experiencing. It's just not what it is. Love does. It's not just something that you feel. It's not just something that's abstract. 
And it's not just something that's arbitrary or anything like that. It has definition. Love is kind. It does not envy. He continues and he says things like uh, it's not easily angered. It, it says it does not boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others and it's not self-seeking, right? In other words, um, it's exactly what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, when he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider other people better than yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you know that someone in that situation is just better than you? And not like, not like, you know, they actually are better, but in that moment it feels like you know that they're better. Maybe it's a celebrity or something like that. Um, I promise you, you have. Anytime you've been to a wedding and, and you weren't the bride or the groom, you were in that, you were in that scenario, right? Uh, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago and I was the officiant and I, I walked down the aisle and like no one stood for me, right? <laughs> like they weren't commenting on my incredible tux or, or, or anything like that. Like no one stood for me. They didn't make a line to come talk with me or anything like that. But like when that bride walked down the aisle, like everyone stood. Like that entire night, it didn't matter what happened. Like everybody is wanting to talk to that bride. All eyes are on the bride because that entire day is about the bride and her groom, right? And and what Paul is saying is treat other people. He's saying do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility consider other people like it's their wedding day. Consider other people like they're better. Consider other people like they're more important than yourself in that given moment. Church, when was the last time you did that for someone that you loved? Like when was the last time you were at home and you, and, and you actually deferred to your spouse and you did something for them, not because it was what you wanted to do. Not, it wasn't the movie that you wanted to see. It wasn't the outing that you wanted to go to. It wasn't the people that you wanted to hang out with. It wasn't the thing, the way that you wanted to decorate. It wasn't exactly that thing, that, but you deferred because you considered that person more important than yourself. When was the last time you did that for your kids? Like when was the last time you did that for a roommate or a best friend or something? When was the last time you deferred to someone here at the church and you said, hey, you know what? This may not exactly be my taste. This may not exactly be my preference. This may not be how I would do things, but you know what? It's not just about me and I'm willing to defer and I'm willing to love you, my brother and sister in Christ, because that's what love does. It's not just arbitrary. It's not just this this thing that you hope to feel one day. It's actually got teeth and it actually has definition. That's what love does. It continues and he says, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I love this. But it also doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. In other words, even though love is not easily angered, follow me here. Even though love is not easily angered and won't keep a record of all of your wrongs, it also does not silently affirm what the Bible calls evil. Are you following me there? Even though love is not easily angered and even though love keeps no record of wrongs, it also does not silently affirm or even not silently affirm what the Bible calls sin and evil, even if you're related to that person, even if you play golf with that person, even if you're friends with that person, even if you voted for that person, or even if you've listened to their sermons the entirety of your life. Like it's not loving to passively affirm what the Bible calls evil. It's not loving for that person to continue to affirm something that the Bible says is sin that is destroying their relationship with the Lord and with people around them. And I promise you, it's not loving to the victims of that evil either. And he says, this is not the definition of love, right? It's got, it's got definition. It's not just, hey, you need to feel positive things about people. Like this has definition behind this word. It's heavy. He says, love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It never protects evil. It protects the truth. 
It never protects victimizers, it protects victims. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, love never fails. Church, it's, it's the priority of love. I mean, you could be the most gifted person on the planet in here. I mean, you could have the ability to make millions at your job. You could have the ability to lead thousands of people. You could have faith that has the ability to move mountains. You could have all the knowledge of the mysteries in the entire world. But if you don't know how to love, it's nothing. It's nothing. That's exactly what Paul's reminding us, the church, of here. Yeah, your gifts are pretty incredible. Yeah, some of these gifts that people have, I would love to have some of these different gifts. But love trumps giftedness all day long. And some of you may need to hear that because maybe you're sitting here kind of going this whole conversation about gifts. You're going, I've got no idea what my gifts are. And you're kind of going, yeah, I, I don't have these wow type of gifts. It's okay because love trumps giftedness all day long. You may not have these wow upfront gifts that people acknowledge and people look at and say, man, I want to be exactly that. But if you have love, I promise you it is exactly what our church needs. If you know how to love kids, if you know how to love students, if you know how to love people, if you know how to go and do some visitations, if you know how to give people a hug, if you know how to write a note, if you know how to stand with someone in the middle of their tears, if you know how to listen to somebody who doesn't understand the things that are going on in their life, what he's saying is that that is the priority here in this church. And you may not have these dynamic upfront gifts that other people envy and things of that nature, but if you have love, it's exactly what our church needs. He continues on, and I want you to catch this entire passage. He continues in verse 8, and he says, But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Church, one more time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this passage right here, if you're a note taker, you may want to like circle this and star this and kind of put a little note in your Bible here. This is why we are a continuous church. We are a unique body here where we're not a cessationist church. A cessationist church means that these gifts of the Holy Spirit have completely ended at the end of the apostolic ministry that's going on here in the first century. And the reason that we are a continuous church is because of the Bible and this passage right here, meaning we believe that some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued into today, that they have not completely ceased with the death of the apostles. And the reason that we believe that is because of what the Bible says right here. Here's what he says, verse 10. When completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Church, is the time of completion come? Like, what's he talking about there? I, I, do you feel like things are, complete, are, are fully complete as the Bible talks about completion? Verse 12, he's going to say, now, meaning right now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, future tense, we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I, will know, I, will, I shall know things fully, even as I am fully known. Church, are you able to see Jesus face to face? Right, right, right? Are you able to see him face to face? Is he talking about this time of completion? Has it already come or is it not yet come? 
where you're not able to see him face to face. We are not operating fully in all the knowledge that there is right now, all right, because Christ is not fully returned. And what this is saying is until that day comes, until Christ returns, these different gifts, even the messy ones that we're about to talk about, prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge, they will be used by the Holy Spirit for the edification of his body, uh, not only here in Dallas, uh, but all around the world. And so, yes, are they ever going to be mishandled? Yes. Is there ever going to be a mess concerning some of these gifts? Yes. Sometimes people teach the word of God and then we get it wrong. We don't give up on the gift of teaching, right? There's got to be misuse. People are going to elevate these gifts way too much, as we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Are people going to try really, really hard to have them and not actually have them? Yes, it's going to be a problem in the text. It's exactly why Paul reminds us of the priority of love. Everything that we're talking about right here is going to be really, really messy. Nevertheless, this is how the Spirit continues to build up his church and edify our body, not only here but all around the world. He says this in chapter 14. I want you to see this tension here and how he teaches on the subject matter here in chapter 14. He says, follow the way of love. Again, priority number one, prioritize love in this body. And he defines it for us in case you're wondering what that means. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't just be passive about them. Don't just be silent about them. Don't just be like, all right, whatever. Like, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, he says, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the entire church may be edified. Are you seeing the tension that's probably taking place in this church? Again, when we read this, we've got to understand Paul's addressing specific scenarios that are going on in this church. The entire book of 1 Corinthians is not just a, a theology book. It is a specific letter written to a specific church. There's tension going on here. There's gifts all around the place. Some people have this. Some people have this. Some people have this. And you're sitting there going, I want that one. And he's saying, no, 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 relax. The Spirit of God knows exactly what he's doing when he created you and when he's gifted you. You don't have to have every single one of them. Right? He, you can relax. You don't need to be able to do that thing, even though it looks pretty awesome and cool. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's saying, just relax just a little bit. There's this tension that's brewing. And what's taken place is that some people are, are, are wildly using the gift of tongues in their church gathering. And, and Paul is coming, and he is giving some specific instruction for how to use that and what they need to be prioritizing here in this church body. So let's talk about tongues here. Back in chapter 12, verse 28, the apostle Paul said, And God placed in the church, first of all, apostles, and then second, prophets, and third, teachers, and then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, and of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Now, some people are going to take that and say, okay, well, he's talking about specific languages there, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. The different kinds of tongues are different kinds of languages that he may want to use at different, different times. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, Acts chapter 2. Uh, when Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit descends on uh, a people. There's a lot of, um, uh, verse 5 in, in Acts chapter 2, it says, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven are there. They're gathered together for, to celebrate Pentecost at that time. The Holy Spirit descends. There's people that are gathered there that speak all kinds of languages. They're not speaking a common language. The Holy Spirit miraculously empowers certain people to begin preaching the gospel in other people's native languages. People understand that. They're sitting there going, wow, this is incredible. They understand the gospel in their own language. It is a sign that the Holy Spirit has come and that he's legit and that the 
message that they are preaching is genuine and true. And so people are coming to real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of what's taking place there at Pentecost. And so it would be very similar to you and me going on a mission trip to China, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God empowers me to start preaching the word in Mandarin, even though I've never spoken Mandarin, right? And all of a sudden, these people who speak Mandarin, they understand the gospel in their own language, and it's a miracle which God does from time to time. Not normally, but it's a miracle. By definition, miracles are rare, but it takes place so that people may understand the truth of the gospel in their native tongue. Um, by the way, I've never seen this take place. Uh, however, I've heard missionaries that I know, missionaries that we support, that'll tell you they've seen this take place around the world in contexts that are very similar to what Pentecost is dealing with. The people have gathered, they're speaking a number of different languages. There's not a common language, and there have been, um, and, and every now and then the Holy Spirit may give someone the ability to speak in a tongue that may uh, communicate the gospel in a way that other people can understand. Very, very rare, nevertheless. There's testimonies, I've never seen it or experienced it myself, nevertheless. So that's one kind of tongue that could be taking place. The controversy is going to come around in chapter 14, verse 2, with this other kind of tongue which the Apostle Paul seems to be alluding to right here. In verse 2, he's going to say there might be another tongue here that is a language not spoken to people, uh, but unto God. Okay, that's what he says here in verse 2. There's a tongue that's spoken not to people but unto God, whereas what may be taking place at Pentecost could be a language spoken to other people, a gospel communication to other people that they understand. This kind of tongue may be spoken unto God and not people. And this is going to be where uh, literally denominations are going to divide and make their own thing here. Verse 2, he's going to say um, they're going to be speaking mysteries by the Holy Spirit. Right? This is the mess that a lot of us don't want to engage in. Right? It's messy. They're speaking mysteries by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're not going to fully understand what's taking place. Even if, hypothetically, if you're speaking in this tongue, you're not going to fully understand like, what's being spoken at that particular point in time. It's messy. Verse 4, he's going to acknowledge, even though it's mysterious here, it's still going to be edifying to the one who's speaking. Okay, so there's something about it, and I don't understand this fully. How, how this is edifying to the one speaking doesn't, isn't exactly clear here because every time you and me, every time I pray in English, my soul and my spirit is edified, right? Like I'm built up. I'm ready to do spiritual battle. I'm ready to be strong. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit by preaching in English every single time I do that. Every time I, I, I sit down and I open up the Word of God and, and, and read and study God's Word, my spirit and my soul is built up and it is strengthened and it is edified. Every time I do that in the context of a community here and we begin to, to wrestle with the truths of God's Word and build each other up like I'm always edified, nevertheless, what he's saying here is that there's something about it that is going to be edifying to the one speaking it, even though he makes the distinction it's not going to be edifying to the rest of the body. Uh, he continues in in verse, um, verse 5, he's going to say he wishes that we'd all speak in tongues. But again, we're all not. Right? He just made that clear at the end of chapter 12. I wish you'd all speak in tongues. At the end of chapter 12, we're all going to speak in tongues? No. no. They're not all going to do that. And I told you this last time, but uh, ever since the time I was 18 years old, I, I've read these passages and I've always been like, okay, Lord, you say to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts and I eagerly desire anything that you would give me at any given time that would be edifying to the body of Christ and that would help to further the gospel around the world. It has been a regular prayer of mine, and I would encourage that it would be a regular prayer for any of us. Holy Spirit, if there's anything that you would want to give me to edify your body and help further the gospel all around the world, I want to have it. Would you give me anything that you would choose for the edification of the body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world? In all of these years, I've never spoken in tongues. Not everybody's going to have it. Not everybody's going to do it. Some people are going to try really, really hard. It may not be legit. Nevertheless, 
There's something that's going on here that is very, very real. Corey Ten Boom, the hero of the Baptist faith, she talks about this, and she came out of the closet and said, yeah, I, I, have, I, I pray in tongues. Paul's going Paul's to say it even here in verse 18, that he speaks in tongues. Some of you have even said that same thing, that you might speak in tongues there too. But listen to what he says here in chapter 14, verse 18. The apostle Paul says, I thank God. Here's where he's talking about praying in tongues. He says, I thank God that I, I'm sorry, that's verse 14. Let me go to 18 real quick. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct other people than 10,000 words in a tongue. You know, I was a speech communication major. I was not a math major. But, like, that's an enormous disparity, right? I, the Apostle Paul, as he's instructing his church, is saying, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to you rather than 10,000 unintelligible words in a tongue so that you might be edified. Even in verse 14, he's going to be talking about praying in tongues here. And I want you to notice how he talks about it, right? He's going to say, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'm also going to pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is, now, uh, who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? In other words, if you're praying in tongues, like how do I know when you're done? Like how do I know I can eat my turkey that's in front of me at Thanksgiving and stuff like that, right? And how do I know when to say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't even know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one around you is being edified. So yes, some are going to be able to pray in tongues. Not all will be able to do that kind of thing. But the point of what he is making right here is that the point of gifts is the edification of the body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. And so unless there's an accurate interpretation, verse 5, we are completely missing the point. I'm going to say unless there's an accurate interpretation there in verse 5, which is another sketchy issue in and of itself, like we are completely missing the point. If you're standing up and just going crazy all around here, you're completely missing the point. It's exactly why he makes such a big deal about prophecy here in this passage. First thing he says is, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but especially prophecy. Right? Why? Verse 3, because the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 4, verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the entire church may be edified. Church, that is the point of this entire thing, right? Everything he gives us, again, is the edification of the body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. Is it ever messy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nevertheless, we've got to eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, every single one of them, not just the safe ones that you and I may be comfortable with, but everything that he may legitimately give you, even though it requires a lot of caution, a lot of testing, and a lot of wisdom, and a lot of discernment as you use these things, especially prophecy, Paul says. Why? Because prophecy specifically strengthens, encourages, and comforts the body. That's what prophecy is. It is a spirit-directed proclamation of God's word into someone's specific situation for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. So hear me, church, it is always going to be in submission to the known word of God. Right? It, is, it is never going to carry the authority of Scripture. Oftentimes it will be the literal words of Scripture, and it will never, ever, ever add to Scripture, which is exactly why Paul is going to give us these cautions in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's going to say, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench it. 
Like, don't, don't, don't suffocate it. Don't write him off. Don't say, no, 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 I'm fine with this, but I'm not fine with this. Like, don't quench him, right? Like, don't quench him. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, don't just, don't hear that word and be like, no, I'm done. That's not me. I'm fine with everything else, but not okay with this. Don't do that, but, but test them all. Hold on to what's good and reject what's evil, he says. In other words, church, not, not everything that people say is of the Lord is actually gonna be of the Lord. Not everything that I say may actually be from the Lord. You need to test everything. Everything needs to be coming from God's word. Test it. He's given us his word. He's revealed himself to us. He's, the Holy Spirit has breathed life into the word. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Test it, he says. This past week, Jesse Duplantis came out and said that God told him to raise $55 million for his third jet. You guys ever hear this one? Just willing to go out on a limb and say, I, I, I don't think that, that was the voice of the Lord. And we have an entire Bible. We have a, a God who created all of humanity and condescended from heaven, took on flesh, was born of a virgin in a manger, never had anything. Talks about dying to yourself all day long. I'm just willing to go on a limb and just say, hey, you know what? In the context of scripture, what we know about God and what we know to be true here, I'm going out on a limb to say that is a blatant, blatant, blatant abuse of saying things like, thus saith the Lord, or God told me this or that or the other, or this, what he would claim as the gift of prophecy. And what Paul is saying here is, reject every single kind of evil. Reject it. It's evil. Reject it. Have nothing, nothing, nothing to do with it. But test it. Hold on to the things that are good and reject every single kind of evil. Church, hear me on this. God's word is perfect. It is always, always perfect. Our ability to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit in a given moment, the ability to discern uh, proper applications of God's known word in any given moment is not absolutely perfect. So don't ever get in the habit of saying, thus saith the Lord, or God told me this, that, or the other. Everything needs to be tested. Everything needs to be tried. And if you find yourself operating in this thing where you have this conviction of saying, okay, I feel like I need to go and talk to somebody, and I feel like God has, has something for you in this moment, allow them the opportunity to test what you're saying. It's not God told me this, God said this over here. It's, hey, I brother, hey, brother, sister, I, I feel like God has, has put this on my heart and I feel like he's saying this over here. Does that make any sense to you? Test it, test it, test it. Hold on to the things that are good and reject anything that's evil. But whatever you do, do not quench the Holy Spirit by saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm out on that thing. Don't treat prophecy with contempt, even though it's really, really easy to do because it's so abused and it's, it's messed up all over the place. Don't treat it with contempt because it's one of the ways that he wants to encourage and strengthen and build our church body for the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. I love the way that Matt Chandler actually describes this. By the way, yeah, just open book right here. Very, very nervous to be teaching this subject matter here at the church. It's just not typically a thing that falls into our tradition. Um, this past week, I found I was doing some reading and, and uh, found out Matt Chandler over at the village, one of my heroes in the faith. He was preaching a very similar thing back in December. Um, but I love the way that he describes uh, the, the, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church today. He says that it's kind of like God, it's kind of like blowing on a quickly dying ember that's lost much of its heat. It's kind of like blowing on a quickly dying ember that's lost a lot of its heat. If you've got a picture up there, we can put that up. You guys ever play with fire? I love it. So much fun. Teaching Caleb about that right now. Um, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I don't do that very often. Um, but you know this. You, you, you've barbecued. You, you've done a charcoal grill. You probably did it over Memorial Day weekend. You come around to a, a campfire and you come around and at the end of the night, 
like it looks like the fire pits died out. And a quickly dying ember, it's going to look like ashes. And all of a sudden, you're going to come around to it and you'll just blow on it just a little bit. And if you blow on that thing, all of a sudden you're going to notice it's going to, it's going to become a little bit more red. And you keep blowing on it and then it's going to heat back up a little bit and you keep blowing on it and it's going to catch everything around it on fire once again. And it's exactly what he's saying. It's exactly why Paul is making such a big deal about the gift of prophecy right here. Church, let me ask you, does anyone ever need the Holy Spirit to come and to blow on your life in such a deeply personal and a deeply specific and a deeply real way where he illuminates the truths of God's word to remind you that he's with you in that moment, that he sees everything that you're going through? Do you, I mean, are you ever in this place where you need the Spirit of God to just say, you know what, in the middle of billions of people, I see exactly what you're going through in that moment, and I still see the, the, the pain and the, and the discomfort and the things that you're going through in that moment, and, and do you ever need the Holy Spirit to come and to just blow on a quickly dying ember that it may be brought back to life? It's the gift of prophecy, and it's this gift that God has given the church where we would take his word and we'd be willing to walk out by faith and speak it into people's lives in a spirit-directed way that comes from him for your comfort, for your strengthening, and for your encouragement. I'm going to end with this. A number of years ago, back in 2002, uh, Kat and I had just gotten married, and we were hanging around College Station one more year, and I never understood at that point in time much about these kinds of gifts. I didn't grow up in this tradition by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I kind of just discarded it and never thought much about it. And... Um, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe not, right? Um, we were hanging around College Station, and I was working at Varsity Ford back in, at that time while Kat was finishing up school. And uh, I'll never forget, we had a brand-new manager come into the dealership at that time. And uh, he was a believer, which is very rare. I was so grateful to have another believer at a car dealership. It just didn't happen very much. I could tell you stories about that all day long. But um, he was a believer, and uh, about a week into it, we had some good conversations and stuff, but we didn't really know each other that well. But about a week into it, um, I had this very, very vivid dream one night. And um, I never really paid much attention to dreams much before. And, um, but I did that night. It was one of these things you wake up and it's just very, very sharp on your mind. And um, it, was a vis- it, was a, it was a dream about him. And he was running. He was he had like on his whole track outfit, and he's running through the streets of his neighborhood. And the dude is like sprinting, sweating through everything, and he's just he's going nuts. He's running as hard as he can. He's breathing hard. And he's about to he's about to wear out. And uh, I woke up and I was like, "That's weird. That was a very vivid dream. Why in the world am I dreaming about this guy?" Right? <laughs> That's kind of weird. And so we come back, and we're I'm at work, and I'm talking with this guy, and uh, and I go, "Hey, bro. I, I was like, I had this weird dream about you the other night." Which, by the way, that's just a weird intro to any conversation. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. Like, no man wants to hear another. Anyway, um, it was like, you had a dream about me. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I told him about it. I, was, I wasn't thinking. At this time, I was not thinking prophetic. I didn't think that there was any spiritual significance to it whatsoever, honestly. But it was such a vivid dream. I was like, yeah, it was really weird. Like, you were, you were hightailing it through your neighborhood. You were running as hard as you could. And and uh, I, I described this whole dream to him. He was sweating and he was exhausted. And I was like, bro, it looked like you were, you were running as hard as you could, but like, and you were about to wear out, but you, you just didn't. And there was a guy running behind you and stuff, and he was, he was keeping up with you, but he was behind you and stuff, and he was fine. And he was laughing about it. He's like, nope, not, it's like, I don't know what that's about. He's like, I don't run. He was a husky guy. And I was like, he's like, I'm not a runner by any stretch. So we kind of laughed about it and didn't think anything about it. At the end of the day, um, we're wrapping things up at the office. He comes by my office and he shuts the door, grown man, 
I'm probably 22 at this time, and he was in his mid-40s. And uh, he sits down, and he puts his head in his hands, and he just all of a sudden, he just starts weeping. 45-year-old man probably to a 22-year-old boy at a car dealership. And I was like, Bart, what's, what's going on, man? And he goes, I, th- I think I know why you had that dream. And I was like, okay. What? He goes, for the past 10 years, I've been running from a call of God in my life, and I've known it. And I've been flat out disobedient for the past 10 years. And he went on and he explained this entire uh, thing, his whole conversion experience, how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, this other experience where he was clear as day that God was leading him to go into, the, into a vocational ministry role and, and how he and his wife, and they, like, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to give up these things. They didn't want the discomfort that comes along with it and everything. And, and he just wept and he's like, I've been running from the call of God upon my life for the past 10 years. He's like, and I know that that dream was there to remind me that I've been doing exactly that, but God is there. He is right behind me. He's been running with me, and if I would just stop, I could go and address that thing again. And this grown man is sitting there. I wasn't thinking that it was anything prophetic. I wasn't thinking, hey, I've got this word for you or anything like that. Nevertheless, that God used that thing to blow into his life and to reignite this fire that had been quickly dying out. Are you with me on that, church? Shortly after that, he didn't stay around Varsity Ford very long. He left shortly after that. He did go and pursue the vocational ministry again. And that's the thing that God used to reignite this fire in his life. Church, it's messy. It it just is. Like it requires discernment. It it, it requires testing. And and it's not always going to be perfect. And it's not always going to be right. And it's going to be this mysterious thing. They're kind of going like... I don't even fully understand that. I wasn't even trying in that particular time. I I don't even know if prophecy is the right word for what happened there, right? Like, it's just messy. But, But let me ask you, like, who doesn't need to be reminded that the Spirit of God sees you in that moment? And that he hasn't, like, forgotten about you or that he hasn't run away or that you haven't outrun him for long, for way too long? Like, who doesn't need the Spirit of God to come and say, in the middle of everything else that's going on or in in the entire universe, like, I see you. And the Word of God, which is true always, it applies to you. And granted, we have God's Word. This is the bread that, that we feed on every single day. You're never without the voice of God. You always have the voice of God in His Word. You always have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But every now and then, the Holy Spirit wants to come along and just hug you a little bit more tightly and say, I see you. In that thing where you are, and you're crying and your tears and you're wandering and your and your discomfort and all of your questions, I see you. And he'll use people like you and me who have the boldness and the courage to know God's word well and to go before him on a regular basis saying, Holy Spirit, would you use me to strengthen, encourage, and comfort your body in the application of your word in a specific divinely appointed moments in these people's lives. Anyone ever need that? It's not the thing that sustains you. It's not what you live on. He's given you his word. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you this community of believers. Every now and then he just likes to hug a little bit more tightly. It's messy. It just is. That's why I've probably avoided it most of my life. I like hanging out under the pavilion. I like keeping things clean. I don't like error, ever. Paul says, remember the priority of love. 
eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Test it. Let it be submitted to the truth of God's word, always. Always.